0: Are you ready to be awakened and empowered in your calling and purpose? Are you a builder and shaper of the church, marketplace and society? Welcome to Transformation Generation Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Schneider, and I look forward to helping you get equipped as a catalyst of the kingdom in your sphere. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Transformation Generation Podcast. If you're watching from History Makers TV, make sure to like and subscribe. Also, subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, we've been going through our series Apostolic Solutions, and I debated whether to get into the concept called Apostolic Engineering. I thought maybe. At first glance, it can throw people off, but every time they dive into what apostolic engineering really is, they're totally amazed and think it's the thing the church needs in this hour. So I'd encourage you to go back and watch or listen to previous episodes to get caught up on what system building is, apostolic engineering, how to reach and break numerical barriers for the kingdom of God. Now... Along the lines of apostolic engineering and building systems that get the job done, I want to talk to you today about once they get saved, how to get them to stay. Once they get saved, how to get them to stay. Now, that sounds a little bit like uh, I'm talking about business or something like that. But in actual fact, let me just ask the, the real question, just shake off those religious bands for a moment. <laughs> but have you ever wondered why, oftentimes, what's, what's normal, at least in the North American church, if there is a call for salvation given in our churches, it's usually a couple-minute message at the end of a sermon, at the end of a service that a, an unchurched person or new believer barely understood what was going on, and uh, the altar call is given for salvation, And oftentimes you'll see people respond, and many times it's genuine, the Holy Spirit is tugging on their hearts, or the pastor has done a good job in letting them know that if they were to die today, they would spend eternity lost forever, Uh, that there's a response and people put their hand up or come to the front to receive salvation. But generally, and this might shock you, because if you've ever wondered why they don't come back, we're going to touch on that today. But, but generally, there's a, a 10% retention rate for those who actually uh, not only come back to church but remain in the faith. This is staggering, and it should raise some questions. And I used to be amazed. I would see even in our former church several hundred people respond at a drama or an event or post-sermon. Uh, and, and, and the, re, the retainment was so low, the amount that actually came back. In fact, most people left saying, good, I got my get out of hell card, and now I go on with my life. They just have little to no idea uh, what they really committed to and what it means when you fit it into a couple minutes at the end of a sermon. And part of that has to do with, you know, you say, well, there just needs to be better follow-up. But in actual fact, from the moment that new convert leaves the church doors, the devil is working overtime to pursue them and snatch the seed that was sown in their hearts. This is just a reality. That person who wept at the altar at the front there oftentimes goes home and they run into family immediately that say, what in the world were you doing? You joined a cult. (laughs) Or that that ex-boyfriend phones and says, let's hit the club or I want to get back together with you. Or, you know, the devil is working when church leadership is not. (laughs) And uh, don't hashtag that, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the devil is pursuing them, and then we hope that they're going to come back next Sunday. We kind of wave goodbye, and we'll see you next Sunday, or make sure you join our new Christians class, and they just, the reality they, is they just don't get it. Now, am I eradicating that process of a quick salvation call at the end of a message? No, I actually got saved that way at six years old. It does reap a harvest, but but very minimal retainment, and I wonder if there's a way to change that, and I want to introduce something that we have done that has proven measurable, quantifiable uh, uh, results, okay? So, um, part of the reason that, and, and maybe much of the reason, that the person who responds to a quick message of hell and heaven, or... They respond and come to the front and there's a genuine tugging on their heart by the moving of the Holy Spirit. One of the fundamental reasons they don't stay is because they haven't had a thorough enough or true enough uh, genuine revelation of sin, the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ. They just haven't. Uh, Again, I'm not saying that you can't lead someone to Christ in a short amount of time, but they just most of the time have not heard the gospel. This is the reality. They heard something at the end of a message. And remember, if we're talking about the really unchurched or people who do not know Christ, who do not have the Holy Spirit, and they walk into especially charismatic churches, what you find is they only know there's, they're in the midst of a crowd that is worshiping, hands are being lifted. Uh, Many times if they're tongue talkers, they're speaking in another tongue and this this unchurched person has no idea what's going on. We're singing about the blood and then there's usually a sermon that would be over their heads because they just haven't been discipled. Uh, All of these things are roadblocks to the truly unchurched, unreached from giving their lives to Christ and moving into a discipleship system because there's so many hurdles to overcome when they come into our churches. So what used to be the perceived answer was the seeker-sensitive movement, where you just dole down your service to the lowest common denominator, the most basic of frou-frou and fluff, and and this was supposedly to reach the world. And now we've come through that era. We discovered that didn't work and people really want the power of God. But what you have to understand is without a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, someone cannot be saved. They cannot be kept. And Jesus alluded to being fishers of men, which is quite graphic when you think about how you hook a fish or catch a fish in a net and the nets need need to be mended and fixed up properly, so that when you've caught fish, you don't lose the fish. Jesus believed in using the right bait and the right nets. So, for anybody watching right now that's saying this is just, you know, harsh language and where's the love and and listen, this is Jesus, and there is a method by which you can catch and retain. And the whole point of this is to disciple people, to bring them out of an eternity lost, separated from God and into eternal life. This is a big deal. Let me give you a scripture that will open up for you the very reason why so many that respond to church calls uh, are not retained and do not remain. Matthew chapter 16, I'll begin reading at verse 13 says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So, So Jesus poses a question, basically, of what's the word on the street about me? What are, what's the news? What's the information about me? And we see that the information out there in the street is essentially, some say you're this, some say you're that, clearly not having had a revelation of who the Son of Man is. But then it goes on to say, Jesus is asking this important question because he's testing the waters for revelation versus information. Can you see where I'm going? There's the information realm that's given about Jesus Christ. Then there's the revelation realm, and only by one of those can you be saved. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now this part's really important. We heard what the information is out there. But now we saw that Simon Peter has had a revelation. And Jesus answered and said to to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This is crucial. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, meaning you don't know who I am because of information you've heard. You know this because the Father who is in heaven has given you a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. In the same way, no one person on this planet can be saved by information. And so if we package the message of the gospel and if we preach to people, and our churches are these little lecture halls where people come and get information about God, but they're never confronted and impacted by a revelation of God, then they cannot be saved. And if they cannot be saved, then there's nothing remaining to bring them back. And you can throw enough pizza parties and, and serve ice cream and, and put on a, a, an event or something, and, and that will not be enough to keep them. It's only by a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ that hooks and holds and anchors a person. And so what we've done in our our very well-packaged North American churches is we're, we're good at conveying information. We convey information on the website, we convey information through podcasts, we convey information in a Sunday service, and all of it is packaged nicely to make the machine work. But the question is, are people having an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ that does more than give them information? Have they had a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ? And even beyond that, we could say, have they had any, uh, are we even preaching revelation or are we just giving lectures that have scripture attached to them or motivational messages? (laughs) I don't have a chip on my shoulder, but I'm going somewhere with this. Peter had a revelation of who Jesus was. And it's only by that that he was kept. Even when he was disloyal, he returned and became one of the greatest apostles, leading so many to the Lord. In fact, in verse 18, Jesus says to him, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. You are Peter, Petros, you are small rock and and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Essentially what Jesus was saying is, Peter, you've had a revelation. Upon this rock I will build my church. What rock is Jesus talking to there when he addresses Peter knowing who the Christ is? Uh, Jesus is saying, this rock is a revelation. When you build on revelation, the house can stand. Have we heard that before? When Jesus talked about those who build on my word, the house will stand. Even when the winds and the waves buffet it versus the one who built on sand. I consider information to be sort of like sand, depending on what current storm is blowing through your nation or your city or the economy or your life, the house is not always able to stand because it's built purely on information. That could look like building your house on a man or a woman, building your Christian life on a church or a denomination or an institution. Listen, by now, we've seen how churches rise and fall, no matter how good-looking they are. But a revelation keeps one forever. And so Jesus says, Peter, that's what the people say about me, but who do you say that I am? Ah, you know who I am. Upon this revelation, I can build. God can only build in our lives through revelation. Just see that for a moment. <laughs> God can only build something that lasts if it's based on revelation. Now, bringing us to our three-minute McMessage at the end of our complicated sermons, have we really provided them with a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ? And maybe that's why they weren't able to build their Christian life and go beyond just getting a get-out-of-hell free card Maybe that's because they didn't have a genuine revelation. Maybe that's why we only retain a few and, and, and we haven't been good at the discipleship process. Well, when I discovered that the problem had to do with the lack of genuine revelation of who the Lord Jesus Christ is in our services, I decided that I'm going to stop giving a three-minute quick message at the end Uh, of salvation. Now, sometimes I have. Sometimes I've felt led of the Holy Spirit, and the message was was good for that, and and I I felt the need to do it in the moment. But in general, what we ended up creating was an opportunity for people to have a revelation of Jesus Christ beyond the three-minute moment. So maybe you'll be asking the question now, well, how did you do that? Did you have a midweek meeting? Did you do evangelistic outreach? Actually, we did it on a Sunday. And so just fasten your seatbelt because through apostolic engineering and system building, we were able to create good nets that took our retention rate from 10 to 20 percent to over 90 percent, retaining those who came and gave their life to Christ. Many of them went on to become Bible college students or graduates and became pastors uh, and are in ministry to this day. Here's how we did it. Our system worked like this. When somebody... uh, we, We encouraged the congregation to bring their friends to church, their unsaved friends. They didn't want to bring their unsaved, unchurched friends in the past because they were too embarrassed of what might go on in the service, having to try to help their terrified friend sitting next to them explain what's going on, why this person maybe fell over or this and that. And, uh, and even just explaining the sermon, you know, that kind of thing, or why people are putting money uh, to the, in the offering and to the church. There was just so, so many hurdles the person had to go through. So what we did was we encouraged people to bring their unsaved friends to church. And we showed them what this system was we had created. What we did was after uh, the first one or two fast songs that everyone could get into, an unchurched person feels good clapping and seeing everybody's excited to be there. We actually welcomed those who were there for the first time. We considered them VIP guests. We celebrated them. We stopped the service after one or two fast songs and all clapped and welcomed them and we encouraged the people that brought them to to run them up to the front where we all clapped and celebrated these these visitors that were there. And right there you might think maybe the person would be uncomfortable in that and we, we didn't find that. They were fine with the festive exciting atmosphere once they were standing there at the front i myself would welcome them to the church and i would tell them that we had a special vip presentation just for them well they were comfortable with that because they figured it was just like any mlm meeting or something else and they were there for the first time so they figured well i want the vip treatment it must if it's vip it must be better than what's happening here in the service and then we would take them out the door and they would walk a red carpet. We would literally put out a red carpet uh, that went into a separate room. We made it really VIP. Now, the red carpet for them, uh, for the new person, was the, the walk of fame, you know, into the VIP area. But for us, we knew it as the bloody road to the cross or where David sacrificed an animal every 6 steps and there was the bloody road to Jerusalem we had real revelation and so but we didn't tell <laughs> the guests that of course then they would make their way into the VIP room the doors would close and all this is going to happen now apart from the main service and that's a big hurdle That I've actually seen some pastors cannot get over. They cannot handle the fact that there could be guests there not listening to them preach and, and making the numbers look good. Well, if you can get past that hurdle, Pastor, and get to the main thing, which is reaching the lost and saving souls, then you're gonna do okay with this. So we brought them into that room, and there was a host in that room that got up and introduce them to the church, just maybe two minutes on the history of the church and where they are. After that, we'd have a testimony time where another person got up who had been physically healed at some point uh, in attending our church. They would get up and they would uh, testify in two to three minutes uh, of something supernatural that God did in their lives, that Jesus did for them. That would be testimony number one. Then there was testimony number two, and that would be a person who, when Jesus came into their heart, something changed for them. Maybe they were set free from depression. Maybe their family dynamic changed. But a a very good testimony that would testify to the saving and changing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, just two to three minutes. And then after those two testimonies, now the people were often very intrigued And what would follow is the host would come back up and begin to give the message, (laughs) the love story of God for creation, right from Genesis all the way through to the cross and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they would do that all in about 20 minutes. And they would give the gospel message. And what we found was being able to give a thorough message of, of the Father lo- so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but as have everlasting life as As the message was preached that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of god and and God wishes no one to be lost but but has made a way that all can return to him as Father and to be in family and and as this message was preached, it was like the Lord Jesus knew what we were doing, and the salvation anointing would come into the room that's what I like to call it. The salvation anointing would come into the room and there wasn't a dry eye in the place. Even our leaders would be weeping every time this this presentation would go on. The guests knew it as a VIP presentation, but we called it the meeting with Jesus. After the gospel was presented, we still didn't give the call for salvation, but we would move into a video montage of the bridge master who had to sacrifice his son to save the whole train. And, and following that was a short video montage of, of the crucifixion scenes from The Passion of the Christ with worship music playing. These were nets that were meant to, kept, uh, uh, to to save and to keep the fish. And at the end of the video montage, you can imagine people are ready <laughs> to give their lives to Christ. And the host returns to the front of the room and gives the call for salvation. And without any exaggeration, I think almost everyone who ever went into that meeting with Jesus who did not know the Lord, who was unchurched, all of them would give their lives to Christ. Even our leaders would be so deeply moved. We would often hear them say, it doesn't matter how many times I'm in the meeting with Jesus, I am crying every time. And these people, these guests, they would also weep, but they, were, they would give their life to Christ. And then from there, the system isn't over yet. Once they've prayed that prayer of salvation, we have some of our leaders in the room come and have them fill out a connection card so we can contact them. Then there'd be some refreshments in the room and chit-chat. Maybe we'd pray for people's needs or to see them filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they'd be released from that room. The next phase in the system is absolutely crucial. We call it the First 48. You might have heard of that, that TV show, The First 48, or the the rule that police live by where if you don't have evidence or latch on to the criminal within the first 48 hours, your chances of ever catching them greatly lessen. Uh, It just is very significant after 48 hours. So what we did was within 48 hours, that person who gave their life to Christ receives a phone call from the host Why is it important the host calls? It's because they have connected with the host in the room. They recognize the host. They appreciated listening to the host. They shook hands maybe with the host. So they get a call from the host and the host invites them to connect with the discipleship process, Christianity 101 or Discipleship 101, whatever it's called uh, for you. And they would get the call, and the call was even scripted in such a way where the, um, the host would say, listen, can I put you down for next week for our Discipleship 101? This gives the sense that to the guest that, wow, they're really keeping track of me. They care about me. They're, they're putting my name down on a list for a discipleship process. The host may even say, and, and we did this as well, can I meet you at the door? Can I arrange a ride for you if you can't come? Well, almost always the the guest felt loved, felt cared for, especially if it's done in in a genuinely loving way. Then, within forty eight hours after that phone call, they would actually receive a second phone call from the pastor. I would personally phone them, and they think, "Wow, the the big guy that was on the big stage <laughs> in the in the main event." Uh, He phoned me and they would feel really cared for. And I would say to them, did you get a call from our host? Are we going to see you at Discipleship uh, 101? And they'd be very excited about having received that call. This really increased our chances of the person coming back and entering into our system of discipleship. And what would take place once they entered into discipleship is an X amount a week process where they were cared for discipled and then from there they would enter another system which either had to do with home groups or cell groups and also by then they're integrated into the service and now they have some understanding in the main service of what in the world is going on. When we implemented this and I haven't given all the details here but we've helped a number of churches to implement this process And the results are astonishing and consistent everywhere. So what takes place is once they are contacted and and connected into the system, we would see the retention rate go from 20% to over 90% people would remain. Why? They've had a very thorough revelation of Jesus Christ they, uh, they understand what they've done, they understand the significance of it, and it gives a chance for the Holy Spirit to really work in their, in their lives. The one hurdle I found when trying to introduce this system, this engineering, to certain churches was the pastor would really struggle with the sacred cow of having to listen to him or her speak having to have them sitting in the service, be seen sitting in the service, and all of that kind of thing. They didn't even like that some of their leaders might be in another room doing something during their moment. Listen, pastor, I wanna encourage you to get back to the main thing. And to avoid the futility and vanity of trying to build your own kingdom or build the machine that really, even though you might not admit it, really revolves around numbers sitting there staring at you on a Sunday or a financial increase or filling up the building. I want to encourage you, Pastor, to be able to lay down that sacred cow and see the benefit of winning a soul and seeing them kept seeing them discipled and going through process. This was the heart of Jesus. It's really not about how many people you can get in a building, but it's how many disciples you can make and how much of the kingdom you can bring to the world. Church membership doesn't guarantee kingdom membership. And so we can have all of those things clicking and we've got the machine going and we feel like we're doing something significant, But one day you'll be judged by heaven's standards. One day you'll be judged by the kingdom's standards. And oftentimes when I've talked to pastors, I've had the privilege of traveling the world in different demographics, different churches and streams. Oftentimes some of the older pastors in the game will say to me, I I built a a large church. I've brought in big name speakers. We have the conferences. We do this. We come and sit and we go. And he would say, he or she would say to me, there must be more than this. I don't know why I'm dissatisfied. I want to encourage you, Pastor, to be willing to break any box, to be willing to break away from the mold that you're used to in order to make the main thing the main thing and have the heart of God and a revelation of Jesus Christ impacting people and that you would lead many sons to glory at history makers church we're open to being contacted so we can help you implement a system like this and do apostolic engineering to not only have the right bait going out there but the right nets to save and to keep these valuable souls we'll see you next time on transformation generation podcast god bless coming up next week There did come a time, though, when the voice stopped. And I was afraid that maybe I wasn't seeking him enough, or I had sinned, or I had grieved him, only to find out, because he spoke, he answered my question. I said, why? Why am I not having these nightly visitations? And he answered this way. He said, I've taught you to hear my voice at night. Now you're going to begin to hear me during the day. Thanks for listening to Transformation Generation Podcast. If you liked what you heard, visit HistoryMakersAcademy.com to enroll in one of our cutting edge trainings. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, History Makers TV.